Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It is my honor to be able to have as a guest today, David Siegel, who is the president of Friends of Elnet and a former CEO of Elnet. And before that, he was the Council General of the Southwest United States. And before that, he was the Chief of Staff of Deputy Ministers in the Israeli government. He's a very, very prominent diplomat who has moved into a significant role with an organization that's 15 years old and yet has had an extraordinary impact on the relationships between leaders and decision makers in Europe and those in the United States. So David, thank you so much for joining me today. It's, it's a pleasure. Great to be on your show. Let me just start out with a simple thing. I 15 years ago, a couple of great leaders in the United States, great advocates for Israel, the late Newt Becker and Larry Hochberg, who I know very well from Chicago and all of his leadership positions around the country, decided it was time to do something and work in a similar vein to what they had been doing in APEC to create those relationships. And they created the European Leadership Network, now called ELNET. And they did it. Was there opposition to this kind of idea? Well, I think in those days, there was less focus on the importance of advocacy for Israel and other parts of the world. Uh, you know, it was uh, on the heels of the end of the Cold War. The United States was preeminent. It was all about Washington. Uh, it was a unipolar world. Uh, but there was recognition by some, including uh, Newt and, and Larry Hochberg that you mentioned, uh, that we need more, that we need more than just an advocacy um, uh, relationship or network in Washington uh, with all its importance, and it is the most important, but there are other countries in the world that, you know, interact with Israel and need to be tended to as well. And on that, that idea, there are now five offices around Europe. There's one in Israel, and obviously the one you're based out of in the United States. How many people in Europe do you have access to, do you work with on a regular basis? Well, over the last 15 years, and you know, this year we have 30 delegations coming to Israel. Uh, I think it's it's the most of any organization that I know of. That uh, you know, it's an average of a delegation every second week. So, uh, if you have 30 delegations a year and and an average of 15 people or officials on each one of those delegations, then uh, the numbers begin you know tallying up. So over the years, we've had thousands of European officials uh, in our programs. And it's very important because when we looked at the statistics, we saw that organizations like APAC and others in the United States brought, you know, 70 to 80% of members of Congress to Israel, whereas in Europe, no one even knew the numbers. And once we compiled the numbers, we realized that it's less than 10%. So the gap was enormous. We need to bring those leaders to Israel so that they understand what's happening on the ground. Now, as Americans, often we're very American-centric, thinking that it's about the relationship and the billions of dollars in aid coming from the United States to Israel. And we think often of Europe being somewhat adversarial of a relationship and not really supportive of the state of Israel in the same way. So on the one hand, I understand why we need to send so many from the United States. And on the other hand, I can make the argument that we need to send more from Europe. What really is the importance of Europe and the European leadership to Israel? Well, let's maybe begin with the basics. So Europe is very close to Israel. If you uh, travel from Haifa to Cyprus, it's a 20-minute uh, plane ride. Uh, so it's right there. When you have an oil spill in Syria, which took place a few years ago, it reached Cyprus you know, virtually overnight. So we're in the same strategic neighborhood. 
maybe with different differences in terms of uh, focus, but not in terms of geography. Um, so it's very close. Europe is Israel's largest uh, trading market. Uh, uh, half of Israel's uh, imports come from Europe, over a third go to Europe, a third of Israel's defense exports now go to Europe. So uh, the Europeans are very significant economically, but they're also significant democratic, uh, 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 politically and diplomatically. It's the largest dem democratic bloc uh, in the world with you know 27 countries in the European Union and other countries that are part of Europe and not part of the EU, including the UK. So it's an enormous grouping of countries that should be, and by and large are, friendly to Israel and significant to its future. In that sense, when you bring European leaders over to Israel, what's the key message you're trying to convey? What are you trying to convince them of the advocacy you're doing? Well, you know, when only 10% have been in the country, uh, all they know about us is, is what they read and, and hear in the media. Um, and it's important that they have a firsthand experience uh, for the country. So we like to take them in helicopters. We like to show them how small the country is. They get to see the region, the Lebanese border, the Syrian border, border with Gaza. Uh, they see the crossing points. They see uh, uh, the activity, the security needs uh, that Israel has. And the most important thing is that they understand that there's a shared interest in a great relationship, a strategic relationship between the two sides. I would argue that the war in Ukraine and even before that, the, the terrorism wave that uh, uh, overwashed just about all of Europe over the last decade, both those um, events have uh, created a, a very strong convergence between many of those countries, if not all of them in Israel. How does that, what do you, what do you mean by that convergence? Israel has somewhat been walking a line because of relationships with Russia and with the rest of the world. So how does that convergence you know, manifest itself? Well, let, let's start with the, the Syrian civil war. So you had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of uh, people who uh, escaped the conflicts in the Middle East. Many of them uh, reached Europe. Some of them were uh, extremists that brought extremism, Islamic extremism into Europe. You saw ISIS, um, you saw major terrorist attacks in countries that never had to confront those issues before began reaching out to Israel for assistance on counterterrorism and other forms of partnership that have really been taking place over the last uh, 15 years since Elnet was established. The war in Ukraine, you're right, uh, put Israel in a complicated uh, situation vis-a-vis -vis Russia, because we need to remember that the Russians uh, oversee Syria and the Israeli Air Force had to uh, very carefully calibrate its, its work over Syria to stop uh, smuggling from Iran to Hezbollah and, and so on, and do that in cooperation with the Russians that really controlled the airspace. So uh, Israel had sensitivities and still does vis-a-vis -vis Russia. Uh, but countries recognize that, although that needs to be explained, and that's part of the work that we do, especially in, in Eastern Europe, where the countries feel much more viscerally uh, the, the Russian uh, chronic uh, threat to their countries. And so when they're looking to Israel, the political relationship is not necessarily an ideological one. It's a uh, a relationship where each side can benefit the other, a transactional one. They're looking, European countries are looking to Israel for military know-how, for, for dealing with terrorists. Are they also dealing with other economic issues or other humanitarian issues that they're learning from Israel? 
Um, sure. So let, let's discuss both. So first of all, it's it's very similar to, to, to the relationship with the United States because the basis really is shared values, uh, two democracies, um, the Europeans and, and the Israelis and certainly Jews that came from Europe share roots, not all happy roots, but, but certainly cultural, um, political, ideological roots that are very common. The shared interests are, are growing with the years. So as the world changes, as the international system changes, as the threats both from Russia and, and China now uh, have an effect on the entire globe and certainly on the Western camp, there's more and more of a sense uh, that the defense relationship needs to grow. And we're seeing that in all aspects of our work. Look at Germany, uh, of all countries, Germany today is uh, in the process of purchasing Israel's Arrow 3 missile defense system, which is the most advanced in the world. And it will be a $4.5 billion transaction, and that is transactional, um, but it will benefit half of Europe in terms of missile defense, and it will be Israel's largest defense export in its history. So you have both um, both uh, aspects of the relationship that are very strong, shared values and certainly shared security and strategic interests. There is a rise of anti-Semitism in the world, in the United States, and especially in Europe. When Elnet brings leadership, a European leadership to Israel. Is that also one of the topics that's discussed? It's a major topic, um, uh, and thanks for asking. So first of all, all of our delegations go to Yad Vashem. It, it goes without saying and have um, discussions about the threat of both anti-Semitism and what we call Israel-related uh, anti-Semitism, which relates anti-Zionism, BDS, and other aspects of uh, hatred against uh, Israel and Jewish communities around the world. Uh, so it's a big part of uh, the relationship. Uh, the Europeans have faced anti-Semitism um, for a long time, and governments have, have, have done good work on fighting and enforcing regulations against anti-Semitism. So if we talk about IRA, which is the internationally accepted definition of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, 31 European countries out of a total of 43 around the world, including the United States that just joined recently, 31 European countries have adopted IRA in recent years. And the European Union has put together, and this is three years already, an, a continent-wide strategy to combat anti-Semitism and safeguard Jewish life that every country in Europe uh, is expected to implement, enforce, and present national strategies to combat anti-Semitism. So the Europeans, in many ways, began this process of fighting anti-Semitism on the governmental level with legislation and enforcement, and have shared those best practices both with American Jewish organizations and ultimately with the White House. What the picture you're actually painting for us is one of that's very, very positive, and there's a lot of cooperation. Are there obstacles that Israel has, that Elmet has, in terms of working with the leadership in Europe? Are there leaders in Europe, are there countries who don't naturally go towards this approach? Well, of course, you know, when you, when you have 36 countries in Europe, and now it includes Ukraine, uh, and 27 in the European Union and one that brexited uh, the UK. You know, every country has their own perceptions and their own complications, uh, both with each other and, and certainly with uh, countries in the Middle East, including Israel. Um, we're not happy with every policy. We're not happy with every European uh, uh, EU uh, European vote or UN vote. Uh, but it is very uh, important to understand that in recent years, the record has improved. 
We've seen countries like Germany, the UK, take on anti-Israel resolutions in, in the Security Council and the UN. Um, so we're seeing, as I said, growing convergence. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't need to explain, that we need to fight back, we need to push back. There's an extreme left. Then there, there's an extreme right, of course, in, in European countries. Both of those forces need to be opposed. Uh, we've seen resolutions try to pass uh, declarations that Israel's an apartheid state or other forms of uh, defamation. But the good news is, uh, is that we have friends and we have uh, alumni of our programs that stand up in European parliaments and, and fight for Israel and fight back um, and help pass resolutions such as IRA that we discussed or um, setting up friendship groups in support of the Abraham Accords now that we're seeing all across the continent. And that's very important moving forward. Um, so we see, again, good movement, but there's certainly challenges every day or else we, we could all happily retire, which is have not the, what we intend to do. Have the protests in Israel created new problems in trying to reach out to the European leaders? Certainly. Um, and I think, you know, Israel, in terms of its um, foreign relations, uh, is being confronted uh, by this challenge. And, and countries around the world are looking at the situation in Israel with uh, some with alarm, others with concern. Uh, and we see the same thing in Europe. But, you know, I think the reactions have been more muted than I would have assumed. Uh, sometimes it's, it's harsher in other capitals, including Washington. Um, the Europeans simply have, uh, you know, very large ex existential uh, issues that they're facing now. They could be economic, they could be about the energy crisis, the war certainly in Ukraine is occupying their attention. It doesn't mean that they're ignoring it, it's just not an issue that defines uh, uh, the relationship. So when we talk about the Arrow 3 to Germany or the David Sling to Finland or hundreds of millions of dollars in other defense uh, corporation uh, initiatives, um, we see we see that it it's not defining the relationship. It certainly is 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 a problem that needs to be explained both to ourselves <laughs> and 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 to the outside world. And that's uh, something we're very very focused on. Now you're a former diplomat who's still very diplomatic, uh, and you are the you know the president of the Friends of Elnet, which is an NGO. So it's not a, it's not a government agency in any way. Was there any opposition in Israel to have another group of people trying to help? Sometimes governments feel like we know what we're doing. We don't need these other people. Well, you, you certainly need diplomacy uh, in everything we do in life. Um, we really are the 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 single uh, organization uh, that covers Europe uh, and strengthens the relationship with Israel. That doesn't mean that we don't have to work very closely with both sides, with governments in Europe and government and various governments in Israel uh, in order to um, be the most efficient and effective in what we do. Uh, we try to uh, represent Israel's interests and the greater interest of, of the cooperation between the two, the two sides. I believe very much um, that we're in a world today that is much more dangerous than it was. There are those that compare it to the 1930s, that compare the chaos that we see internationally to a world without rules, without a multilateral system that uh, countries adhere to anymore. Uh, you see a Western camp, you see obviously an authoritarian anti-Western camp, you see many countries in between that are sort of waiting to see where the wind blows. It could be in the Middle East, it could be uh, in other parts of the world. You see China and Russia trying to move in. Uh, all the effort now on Saudi Arabia relates also to China moving into that part of the world. Uh, the sensitivity that uh, Israel has in relations with Russia and China that we uh, discussed. So the world is changing. And in that world of change, um, I think it's important to 
uh, look at Israel from 30,000 feet and look at the Jewish world from above and say, you know, how will it look 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now? Who will be the partners to, to Israel of the future and, and to the Jewish people? And looking at Europe, uh, the news is not all bad. In fact, it's, it's rapidly getting stronger and better. Uh, and that's where we're, we're focused. And I think the Israeli leadership, whatever government, come, they come and go and they'll continue to come and go in, in, in the future as well. Uh, recognize that. Uh, there's a reason that during COVID, uh, when there were hardly any delegations going to Israel, including from North America, there were very few, uh, we had multiple delegations come into the country, sometimes 40 at a time, to go to a Jerusalem that was closed, to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre that was locked. Um, it was just uh, the reality. And that's because the, the, the government, the IDF, the defense establishment, see a tremendous importance in Western support for the state of Israel. But given all of the emphasis on Europe and Israel, it's a bit strange that it was founded out of the United States. Why wouldn't the European Jewish leadership, why didn't they step to the plate? Why did it come from the United States element? Well, you know, advocacy for Israel did start in the United States. I think it was perfected by APAC. Uh, many of the people that began ELNET came out of the APAC world and the, the policy conferences in Washington, bringing European officials in. So uh, advocacy was much more developed in America. Um, so the idea of bringing that form uh, of advocacy to Europe and adapting it to the local political systems there, and they're not all the same, uh, uh, really came out of the leadership in the United States. It's not to say that there wasn't and that there isn't a European uh, advocacy leadership, but they're in a different uh, environment, uh, different forms of development. And over the last 15 years, we've seen a very strong synergy between both North America and Europe. And today we have very powerful, effective pro-Israel networks and communities throughout Europe. And, and you see it. You see it in action in France and Germany and the UK, uh, where we have a bipartisan office that works with both uh, the Tories that have been in power for a long time, and maybe very soon the Labour Party that may win in, in, in the elections next year. So it's important to have a voice uh, in those communities, in those political systems. And, and much of that, again, began here in North America just because of the state of the Jewish world. Now, bipartisanship in the United States is getting much more difficult. Uh, one of the uh, challenges for APAC in the United States is, which, is how to maintain that bipartisanship which had once been so simple. If you look at the names they used to bring out, the great political leaders, many of them are reaching the ending stages of their careers as well. Is this Has the same change occurred in Europe in terms of bipartisanship, working with the Tories and the Labour Party in, in uh, England? Is it still a, a possibility when it comes to the state of Israel? It, it is very challenging in all democracies. And, and I think part of the challenge that we face is not just a changing international system, but also changing domestic politics. It, it's because of te technology and it's because of all the effects that we see in the world where everyone from military to political, we all need to become much more adaptable, much more competitive, much more attuned to uh, the changes around us. So, so, you know, democracies are complicated. You know, in France today, you have a far left which is anti-Zionist and very dangerous and a far right, uh, which also, of course, uh, represents its own dangers and, and a declining middle or a diminishing middle. Will that middle um, overcome in, in the coming years is something that we'll, we'll watch very carefully uh, in a country like France and in, in, in the UK, like you said, it's, it's a very strong partisan divide. 
most of the Jewish organizations are party-based in the UK. Elnet is unique in the sense that it can bring a bipartisan and, and also a, um, a all European kind of flavor to the table. And there are European or, or British politicians that need a relationship with Europe that they don't necessarily have like they did before Brexit. So we bring that to the table as well. But most importantly, we're able to work with both parties. Our director in the UK is a former Labour politician, member of parliament by the name of Joan Ryan. She's fairly well known here in the United States. Uh, she is a champion in the fight against anti-Semitism for the last um, quarter century. Um, she walked out famously on Corbyn and, and fought him until his defeat in, in the last elections. Um, but she's, you know, she comes from the Labour Party. She knows how to work with those politicians. And if, if and when they do come back to power, we'll have, you know, we'll have a strong presence on the ground that can work uh, with both the Tories and, and Labour. So I think in every country you're seeing challenges to democracy, uh, challenges to bipartisanship, certainly uh, the role that Israel plays in, in politics in each one of these uh, countries. Um, and we need, we need to be very sophisticated and adaptable to deal with that. Hey, you mentioned earlier that you feel that this is perhaps one of the most difficult times since the 1930s. Uh, those, that kind of statement is very frightening for American, for world jury, because the 1930s were a time of of the beginning of a destruction. Is there hope at the same time that you see that makes it different than the 1930s? Well, if I look at the state of Ukrainian cities and how civilian um, territories and communities are being intentionally uh, targeted for the last year and a half, and you know, we're in a world today that yes, we 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 see realities that we didn't believe would be possible in this century, uh, but we're seeing it uh, come back. And I think the, uh, the calling of our generation is to make sure that um, people, leaders of goodwill come together uh, and fight back. And whether it's anti-Semitism or the kind of atrocities that we see in different parts of the world, and we may see in the future, and we may see in the Middle East. I mean, the fact that Hezbollah is getting more and more aggressive on the Israeli northern border, and it's been doing so for the last year uh, and more, um, means and and the fact that they face Israel with 150,000 rockets and a unifil that isn't really functioning in southern Lebanon and you know you see those realities coming close to Israel as well uh, and what we need our alliances what we need is diplomatic military and economic support uh, regardless of of the crisis uh, internally in Israel right now um, and I think there is hope um, you know I'll just remind uh, your audience that. Operation Guardians of the Wall that we sort of tend to forget about and look back and what, what year was it? Well, it was May, 2021. And in the midst of that, as the rockets were flying on Southern Israel all the way up to Tel Aviv, um, there was a press conference in Washington and several members of Congress uh, from a certain affiliation came out and condemned Israel for ethnic cleansing and other uh, beautiful statements. But on the same day, uh, the chancellor of Germany outgoing, Merkel, stood up and said that Israel has a right to defend itself from rocket fire from terrorists and defend itself massively. And she sent her foreign minister and other European foreign ministers joined the German foreign minister on a solidarity mission to Israel. And they toured the bomb out, you know, uh, communities in Petah Tikva together with their Israeli, you know, governmental counterparts. And you said to yourself, these are real allies. The, these are relationships that need to be cultivated and nurtured um, and supported. 
Um, so that's what we're about, is bringing Western leaders together um, to fight back and, and to excel and to innovate together and do good things together, but also to help defend the West from the larger threats that we see out there. So shift a little bit and straight to you. Your family made Aliyah from Vermont. You served in the foreign ministry in many significant roles, and now you're in Elnet. In those years, what do you think was the most exciting or um, impactful experience you had? Was there somebody you met, some, ex some experience you had in, in the broader world, in the Israeli world? Well, I, I, I love that question. So, so thank you for that. So, yes. Yeah, so um, I joined the foreign service, the diplomatic service of the state of Israel um, after graduate school. Um, in the early 90s. And my first posting, uh, of course, they said, you're going to Washington, but then they said, no, we're going to change our mind. You're going to Asmara. And we had to look on the map and see where that place was. And it was in the Horn of Africa in the new nation of uh, Eritrea, um, right um, on the Sahel Desert in, in the Horn of Africa. So um, the most exciting experience for me in representing Israel was in helping create a drip irrigation farm in one of the hottest places on earth and to see members of the US government, the European governments come to learn from Israel how to re virtually make the desert bloom. And they took those models to the former Soviet Union and they took it to other parts of the world. But my experience was that Israel has such technologies that it developed for itself and practices that it really can share with the world. So we are used to looking at Israel as something great, small, maybe a startup nation, but something that needs to be protected. But other parts of the world look at Israel as a role model, as, as a, almost a superpower, not just militarily, but when it comes to drip irrigation, to technology, to food security, to climate change, all these issues that are so critical to everyone now, um, Israel really did for itself and, and is willing to share with the world. So um, I see it now. I see it in, in Ukraine. You asked me about that. We have a major project where we bring Israeli world-leading PTSD trauma experts that we brought to the United States, to the inner city, um, to, to work on civilian trauma. And these are the people that came out of the IDF and, and from the Israeli hospitals and mental health, and they're helping governments in Poland, in the Baltics, and in, in the greater Eastern and Central Europe treat virtually hundreds of thousands of refugees, and many of them are women and children, and emphasis on children that are traumatized by this war. And if I think about the future, and I think about a Europe that emerges from the war, uh, traumatized, broken in some of these countries that needs healing, uh, who but Israel would be a better partner to, to help uh, rebuild and reconstruct and bring um, you know, the, the power of technology that we, we, we developed ourselves for, 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 the, for, for the country that we live in, in, in the heart of the Middle East, and bring that to these countries in order to solidify their relationship with us. And, uh, and I think, you know, that's an experience that I'll always carry with me. And that, that's from the days, my, my old days in the Horn of Africa, that uh, represents what Israel means to the world. I'm not sure who the person in the foreign ministry was who said, no, not Washington, we're sending you to the Horn of Africa. But it sounds like- Washington came later. <laughs> it sounds like what they did was actually good, good for Israel and good for the Jewish people as well by having you there at that time, which I'm sure is what's going on now with your posting with, not posting, but your new role in Elnet itself. And in Elnet in the United States, how do you get the message out further? 
the importance of Elnet and the importance of Elnet to American Jews? So we're, we're very fortunate. We have a very strong leadership, very strong board, uh, leaders in various communities, both on the East Coast and certainly in, in the Chicago area, as you mentioned, and, and on the West Coast. Um, we have a very stable uh, and growing uh, fundraising campaign, and we do need to fund uh, multiple delegations and programs, as, as I mentioned before, and they're very, very important. Um, but it's it's not easy because, you know, most American pro-Israel um, leaders and, and activists are focused on uh, locally, on, on Washington, local concerns and campaign races and all of that is well and good. But there's a larger world out there. And the reason I know it is because I look at the IDF, I look at the Ministry of Defense, I look at the other government authorities and why uh, they see Europe as so important and why they're so welcoming when we bring those delegations in. And what that means is that there's a world out there that needs to be tended. Um, you know, Rabbi Wolpe in Los Angeles calls it the bias of proximity. We need to overcome the bias of proximity and also worry about what's happening to Jewish communities uh, around the world and certainly in Europe where there are still one million Jews that live. Uh, and that are affected by anti-Semitism and are affected by anti-Israel um, pressure. Um, and, and here is where we, we step in to work with governments in order to address that and, and build these relationships. I, our time is up. I want to thank you for your time and all of your work. I want to encourage people also to learn more about Elnet. Um, on the web, it's Elnetwork, E-L-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.eu. You'll find some fascinating things that they've been doing in Europe and uh, ways we can also support that continued work. Uh, David, thank you so very much for your time and continued strength in all of the significant thing you're doing on behalf of the world and especially on behalf of Israel itself. Have thank you, Rabbi. My pleasure. Great Bye. to be on your show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care.